Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. I, th- I think heroes a lot because heroes, like the definition of a hero uh, for me and for when I talk with people is an ordinary person put into an extraordinary circumstance who takes action. That's simple. Like an ordinary person put into an extraordinary circumstance who takes action. Right. Like today is an extraordinary circumstance. Every day is an extraordinary circumstance. Just act um, and do those things that are a little bit harder um, so you can benefit in the future. Our guest today is Cody Isabel, founder of CBA Neurotech, where he helps people embark on their own hero's journey and find the power within themselves to save the day. Cody's a student of the mind and his extensive research on how the mind, body, food, sleep, and spirit work together can help us all on our journey to be our best self. You can learn more about Cody's work at cbaneurotech.io. Now let's go listen to Cody. Awesome. Well, we'll get started. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone again, especially a few folks hadn't seen in a couple of weeks. So people are starting to come back from summer and get back into the groove again. And it's exciting to spend time with Cody. I've had a few interesting conversations with uh, Cody Isabel over the last couple of years, and he he challenges you to think in different ways. And there's a lot of things he's challenged me with that I just never forgot. And they uh, pop in my head at random times. And I think uh, about uh, some of the things Cody teaches around mindset. So I'm excited to have a conversation with him. If any of you have questions, type in the chat. We'll make sure you get you unmuted so that you can talk to Cody as well. Let's go uh, go back, Cody. Uh, if I remember right, what intrigued you and inspired you to study a lot about the mind really started with concussions, right? Yeah, that is actually true. <laughs> Especially, uh, it's interesting too, because I was just doing some research on like brain fog and things like that related to COVID. And I was like, wow, this is what I completely felt when I had concussions too. But yeah, that is true. Yeah, and concussions are, uh, you don't know how bad they are till you have one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's an un- misunderstood thing. I, I, it's huge in college sports, and I see all the stuff about it now, especially in the NFL. It's uh, the NFL, the NBA, and soccer, women's soccer is actually like one of the highest instances in the military, too. It's actually a huge one. Blast concussions are like massively detrimental as well. So, so what happened? You you had a concussion and that got you interested in the mind and you took off from there? <laughs> well, I was interested in the mind for a long time. I when I I forgot who it was. I think it was my granny or someone had Alzheimer's. And I was always confused, like how what is going on here? And then in high school, I well, I was in Blue Springs, so it was really, really good curriculum. And I got into a pre-med track pretty early. And um we studied human body systems and I remember studying the brain and my teacher's like, it controls everything else. And I was like, why would we study anything else then? <laughs> like, don't, let's not leave this chapter. And so uh, from that point forward, like I, that was, I think eighth grade is when I first kind of got uh, introduced to some of that stuff. There was an exhibit that came to my middle school that like set up an entire human body, like a blow up human body. And it was like, I was in magic school bus walking through the body went through the brain like it was cool and from that point forward i was always interested in the brain research it most through high school and then that's what i went to study the concussions i was already studying neuroscience when i had got the concussions and 
So my trainers were like, dude, like, <laughs> you know, you can't keep playing. So I had to retire my junior year, actually retire. I was at D3 school. <laughs> I was there for brain stuff, but um, I had to retire my junior year. And they were, the trainers were like, man, you, like, you know, this, you know, you need to stop playing. And then the NCA stops covering you with insurance after your third or your fourth concussion too. So I, I had to stop playing at that point. And the mindset piece of that comes in because there was a little dip like, and that's huge for some of my identity. Like I was like, what, how old was I then? 19, eight, 19 or 20. Like I've been playing basketball for probably 15. I started four or five. So 15 years, a huge piece of my identity and my mindset was in basketball. And that was just swept out from underneath me. So I was like, what the heck, what am I about to do? So that was where I got kind of got the initial like identity mindset, how those connect. And then really the more that I studied the brain and psychology and things like that, the more I started to realize, holy crap, like these things are very connected. They are, and there's a number of folks on here that have experiences around that, but why don't you walk us down that path about, about mindset and what are some of the things you've learned? Yeah, some of the things I've really learned, again, I take a very neurological approach to <laughs> these types of conversations because I, 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 like the way I think about mindset today is something, the hero's operating system is what I, I talk about. A hero to me has been something that's been super easy to, like, I love Marvel. I love like, wh wh however you're defining a hero. I remember thinking Tony Robbins was a hero of mine, like way back, like in high school, read some of his books, like, and so heroes and that mindset around that to me has always been that. And then like brain. And so when I think of mindset, I think of mind, mindset, mind, where's the mind come from? It's an emergent property of your brain. What, what where's your brain sitting? your brain is sitting in your body. And so those are kind of the three things. Some, if you're more of a spiritual person too, like soul, spirit, energy, whatever would be above your mind. Um, but that, that that's kind of the spectrum I think of mindset on and how they, those three things interplay, your mind, your brain, and your body and how they all work together. They're all separate things, but they're all inseparable. And it's kind of a perplexing question mark that a lot of people have. It's like, what, what do you mean? separable separate but inseparable and so when i think of mind i think of your you've got your conscious mind and your subconscious mind and so your when you're thinking your conscious mind that's about two thousand things ish that you can process a second your subconscious mind is about 6.7 trillion things you can process per second and so this is like one of the first places i think about like environment that's why it's so massively important to create a good mindset you have to have a good environment so a lot of people ask me or a lot of people have heard like the five people you're closest to are who you'll become right if you're around um five millionaires you'll be the sixth if you're around five whatever you'll be the, the sixth one and that's because your brain is taking in 6.7 trillion things per second that you are unaware of it's in your subconscious and so every moment that you're around those millionaires you are sucking in things you don't even know their mannerisms, the way they look, the way they act, the way they talk, who they talk about, how they talk about them, all of these things you just don't even understand. And that starts to become your conscious mind. So when you're creating a mindset, I really start with thinking about what's my environment and what am I subconsciously taking in? Because it is an unfathomable number of things you are taking in per second um, that a lot of people just don't necessarily think about literally consciously. Um, 
So that's usually where I start. And then that shifts down to the brain and thinking about the brain. Like, what is the brain? Like, like just from a neuroscience perspective, there's, there's a hundred different ways you can think about it. Like, animal, like monkey brain, like hive brain, like all this kind of stuff. The easiest way I describe it to people, especially like I'm usually working like 20 to 30 ish year olds is you have an old brain and you have a new brain. Your old brain is what a lot of people have probably heard of, like your limbic system, your emotional system, that kind of stuff. But it is genetically driven. Your new brain is intelligence driven. Your old brain is genetically driven. What does that mean? <laughs> Genetics. Back in the day, you didn't have a neocortex, this new, this newer part of your brain. Uh, it, it developed later after your new old brain was like, wait, man. <laughs> I just want to survive. I want to pass my genes on. That is at the core of what your old brain is trying to do is just survive um, and put its genetics forward. So way back in the day, it just wanted to find sugar. Like that was it. I just need some sugar, man. That's why people have the cravings that they have and things like that because they're genetically predisposed. Everyone is. Um, and so that your old brain is that limbic, emotional, like, People talk fight, flight, freeze, like all of those types of things. That's your old brain. And then your new brain sits right on top of it. It formed later. And that's people, if you've heard prefrontal cortex, if you've heard neocortex, if you've heard cortex, that is just a newer portion of your brain that is visual processing. So your senses, um, your prefrontal cortex is like emotional regulation, logical planning, things like that. Your neocortex is driven by intelligence. It wants to learn things. And the two of them talk to each other. <laughs> like if, if you're, and I, I personify them because I think it makes it really easy to think about how they work because you can start to have a conversation with them because they talk to the one another. And so if your old brain um, was talking to your new brain, which is again, just intelligence, it's like a map, essentially. It's always making a map of the world, creating reference frames and creating a map. And so, but there's no emotion in it. So you're, let's pretend we're way back in the day, we're trying to find some food. Your new brain would go to your old brain and say, hey, um, there is some berries over across this river that we could go grab, or there's some berries through this field. When we saw, when we went through that field last time, there was a tiger, but there are berries over there. And you're no emotion though. It's just a map. Your old brain goes, dude, what? Time out, time out. We are not going towards the tiger that would kill us. I can't pass my genes on. Don't take us that way, right? And so your old brain then, um, would direct you to like get you to move towards the berries that are through the just across the river, a safer way to go. And your new brain has the map to get you there. So then, where does your body come into it? How are you going to get to the berries? <laughs> your body takes you there. Your body is where action resides, and it is as like where your action is and where your senses are. Like your body is literally like a. a almost a robot for your brain. It's sitting upstairs and it's like, all right, body, let's go. And so your new brain is what the neuromodulators, hormones, all of the, I just call them chemicals. <laughs> I don't, we don't need to get too complicated. Simple is better. Um, drives you towards the things you want to get to. Um, and so your old brain will go down to your body and say, hey, let's move, let's go. Let's get move, get, move the muscles, walk the legs, that kind of stuff and take you to towards the berries. And then as you're going towards that, your body is sending messages back up through that mechanism as well. Um, and so as you're walking, if you step on something, it hurts, it goes to your old brain. It's like, ah, that hurts, which then goes to your new brain. And it's like, 
this hurts. And then your mind comes online. It's like, ow, and you think and feel, right? And so that's, it goes back up and down that spectrum. And so that's how I really think about mindset because it's like, and it's a long way down, but it's a long way up too. And thinking about how those three things communicate with one another is huge when, in my opinion, when you think about mindset and how to create it and craft it. Um, and that's why I spend a lot of time helping people with. Sometimes people will come to me with, they've got a, like a belief or something like that, that in their mind, they have, a crap, they have a crappy mindset. And so I always dissect it down into those things. And I will start in the body almost every single time. I work a ton with anxiety, stress, depression, burnout, fear, um, in especially 20 or 30 year olds. And I, oh, I always start at the bottom with the body when I'm trying to craft a better mindset. Because if your body, if you're not sleeping enough, if you are not exercising, if you're not sleep, actually just sleep, like that's people are like, well, I need to exercise. I need to work out. No, if you sleep, you'll lose more weight than if you go and exercise, just sleep, please God. Like it's all your brain wants is sleep. Um, it's the most important thing. I'm, I won't go too deep in it, but I'm very passionate about sleep. <laughs> um, it's the best thing you could possibly, it's a cure-all. It literally cures everything. I promise. Um, and after that, going to exercise and nutrition, I think are massive. Um, mindfulness and breathing. A lot of people are like, breathing, what the hell do you mean? Yeah, breathing. Like, it solves a lot of problems. Go through your nose, not your mouth. That's the quickest one. I'll give you on that. Like, your mouth is for food. Your nose is for air. Like, just, just put that in your mind for breathing. And then social connection. We are social creatures. We grew up um, with, <laughs> once we grouped together, we exploded. Like, if you think about it, and even the way our bodies are set up, we group together. We are made of non-living cells and somehow we emerge as conscious living beings. Connecting and being socially connected is massively important, just period. And so social connection is huge, but that's why I start in the body. Like when I'm trying to craft a mindset, like I can't get out of bed. Well, are you sleeping? Yeah. Okay. What about, well, I can't fall asleep. Okay. Or then move to exercise to tire your body out so you can sleep better all moving up to sleep and crafting the body. If the body, which is holding your brain, is healthy, you're gonna have a healthy brain. Now that you have a healthy brain, your old and new brain don't have to be mad at each other. Because when those things, when you're not sleeping, exercising, eating, doing any type of mindfulness or like breathing or the social connection, your body's communicating to your old brain, your old brain's mad. So it's going, it's like, what the heck, man? I'm in a stressed out mode because I'm not, you, you didn't let me sleep enough. So I'm stressed. And I'm, I'm anxious, I'm worried. And that those are all in your old brain, which then goes to your new brain. It's like, yeah, this is how we feel. This is how, like, and so your thoughts, and I'm worried about this. I'm scared about that. I can't do this. And that crafts your mind, right? And so that's like the negative side. But if your body's in, if you've got a body that is feeding your brain and helping you stay healthy, you're able now to, to shift that conversation. Now your old brain's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Like, I feel awesome. So it goes to your new brain and your new brain is like, awesome. I feel, we feel great. And your thoughts mystically <laughs> turn more positive and your mindset shifts. And so that's really where I will, I like, I start a lot. And then once you've got that body, like, I, I mean, I think that's a large chunk of me talking if you want to ask questions, but once you get into the, like your body and brain in alignment, moving more into specific, like, subconscious subconscious programming and like belief shifting and changing i'm happy to kind of talk to that too but i don't know if there's any questions or any thoughts 
If you got questions, let us know. You know, we could probably go like a hundred directions from everything you've just started with there, um, because my mind is just whirling every time <laughs> you talk. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of popular writing. In fact, some folks on this call have had conversations with recently about the value of discomfort and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations to drive growth. And I'm assuming part of that is that old brain that's holding you back and creates fear and doubt. How do you, how do you coach people to get comfortable with discomfort and what's the value of that? Yeah, I think I love that. That's a good question. So that I, I would agree is some of your old brain kind of getting in your way. So I, again, like getting used to discomfort is unknowing that I'm sleeping enough, eating enough, exercising, doing those things first. So your brain is in alignment, but once you get into like the actual mind, if they're discomfort, like feel discomfort, fear, whatever it is, that's a result that they have. And so I think a lot about when I'm thinking about someone comes to me with an issue, it's most of the time a result that they want that's better. And the first place that I'll go to is there's a couple is action. Like I'm a huge proponent of action. So that's really what I'll ask first is what have you done? Like, what have you tried to do? They come with a good problem or I'm scared or different type of stuff. And when you think of action, again, that's in your body, which communicates to your brain, which shifts your mind. And so I will ask like, what have you done or what have you tried? And sometimes people just sit paralyzed and they don't try to act. Like waking up in the morning is a really simple version of one of these. It's uncomfortable to wake up for a lot of people. Like it's like, it's, it's warm in here. I don't want to get up. Um, and I talk about action first because action creates the motivation people are looking for to wake up um, or to get through that fear. Uh, if you just sit in fear and don't ever move, like you're going to, nothing will change. <laughs> and so, um, or discomfort, nothing will change. But if you can move through it and act through it, um, you can create the motivation you want. And so I literally, I'm like, guys, like I have literally taken people's feet, put them on the ground out of your bed. And I promise what happens when the sensory motor neurons in your foot hit the ground, it will shoot up to your brain and start releasing acetylcholine, serotonin, dopamine, all these beautiful chemicals. And those chemicals change the state of your brain, which changes your mindset and you feel more motivated. So if someone is worried about fear and doubt and has these other problems, actions where I always go first. If they are moving and acting through some things already, I'll typically move into some type of um, belief. I want to dissect other places. Um, like what are they saying to themselves? Like we sub vocalize, meaning that voice inside your head that talks so much shit to you all the time is never ending, um, can be consciously recorrected. Um, 6.7 trillion of those thoughts every day. <laughs> a lot of them are pretty dark. Um, why are they dark? Because your old brain wants to survive. And so it creates these dark, like, I want to survive self-preservation type thoughts in your subconscious. And it creates those types of beliefs in your mind, um, your conscious mind, um, and it was subconscious and then it drives conscious action. But um, so going to their beliefs is next. And I'll talk to them, like, what are you saying to yourself? What are you thinking and feeling? What are, what are the thoughts that are happening? And what are your past experiences that proved what you're saying is true? So when someone's scared of something, I was like, okay, well, what has proved in the past to you that you should be scared about it? 
And what beliefs did that form or cause? What actions did you take in that time um, that caused that? And sometimes people are like, well, actually, I don't have any. I was like, okay. <laughs> so you've got some false evidence appearing real right now. That fear to me, false evidence appearing real. And that's oftentimes just asking those questions to people. It's like, wait a minute, guys. Is this actual, is this evidence that you're really scared for a reason? Or, or like, what's happening here? <laughs> the other the other definition of fear that a lot of people I feel like take on <laughs> is F everything and run. Um, I didn't want to totally cuss there, but, um, and I am just like, wait a minute. Like, this is just a false, false evidence appearing real. Like what happened in the past to prove it? Examine their beliefs. What are their thoughts and feelings? What are their actions? And then how can we recreate some of that? to take a more productive action forward, which will get them a different result. And it works in a circle. Like that's the way I it's a belief wheel, a belief circle, a result circle, whatever you want to think about, your brain works in loops. And so like, if you just think simplistically about it, what result are you getting? What are the beliefs that, that you've got? What does that cause you to think and feel? And what actions have you taken? And if you want to correct that, get a different result, take a different action. And if you get a different result, it shifts your beliefs when you get, if you have different beliefs, your feelings and thoughts also shift. When you have different feelings and thoughts, it's easier to take different actions, which get you different results, beliefs, feelings, and thoughts, actions, results, and it goes in a circle. And that can work against you or it can work for you. And so those are, when someone is like fear, doubt, worry, those types of things, I always start there. Over to um, Andre. That was a long pause. I had to unmute. Never heard that on a virtual call before. Cody, this is fascinating to me uh, because I, you know, if you're, if you've competed at sports, you know, you've always, the mind is what you start to focus on and in the body, et cetera, and everything plays. So you mentioned earlier that um, you work a lot with 20 and 30 year olds. What in the hell are they struggling with being so young in their lives and their careers that they're coming to you for answers and you don't have to share names obviously but what are some of the things that you're dealing with for 20 and 30 years i'm just i just find that intriguing yeah i mean the i mean mental health is a huge one and i would say anxiety and depression are big ones um especially i mean just to be blunt men like i <laughs> i love everybody but men man 87% of women get help when they have a mental problem, mental health type problem. 87% of them do. Only 3% of guys in that age group do. And the number one reason that age group is dying is suicide. Uh, it, it's terrifying to me. And so I know it seems dramatic um, somewhat, but it, it, those are just stats and facts. And so um, that, that would be probably a lot of the overwhelming piece, like anxiety, especially um, is a big one. And it's hard for men, uh, men and boy, guys to talk about sometimes. Um, that's why I kind of have the heroic type vibe around what I do. And some of the technology I add into what I do with like artificial intelligence and like robotic type stuff. Guys have been like Captain Kirk, talk to data. That's a robot in AI, right? right? Tony Stark, Iron Man talks to Jarvis. And so I really try and get guys able to talk to you with like cool, more like badass type stuff. Right. Um, and so that's, that would be one group. And then burnout is a big one or living for someone else. Identity really would be the big one is like identity. Like they are stepping out of twenties, especially early twenties are stepping out of, um, different stories. They've been living for other people. And so like, who am I, who should I be? I don't have a teacher telling me what to be, or my mom and dad aren't telling me who I should be. 
and identity is honestly because burnout really comes into identity in my, my in what I've at least worked on. So um, a lot of the times they are living for someone else. That's what I kind of taught. Like, who are you living for? Like when like I've worked, I've coached girls. And sometimes they're, when they're waking up, I was like, like, who do you get dressed for in the morning? And they're like, uh, right. And it's, I was like, is it not yourself? Like, who are you living for? And that's a question I ask a lot of people. And then who are you becoming is the other one I really ask um, around identity, because if it's not a parent, a coach, a teacher or something, or a, a teacher or a coach, it's a parent, like a mom or a dad. Like, um, and they're living the story and they're realizing that they're living the story, someone else's story, like a parent's or something, um, as opposed to being able to craft their own. And so I help, that's where I kind of poke in. I was like, okay, well, who do you want to become? What do you want to do? And I'll help them craft like a heroic stories when I talk about um, with the neuro stuff that I was talking about. Um, but I helped them craft their own story. Like, I don't know if you've heard of the hero's journey, but that's kind of the storyline I, I helped them with. So that's mental health and then identity, I think would be two of the biggest ones. And just a really quick follow-up. Do you think that has been exacerbated by the, the pandemic and being isolated? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think, <laughs> especially social anxiety, um, and especially as people get back out and about, but being isolated, what it does to your brain when you are, like I had mentioned, social connection is so important. Isolation is one of the worst possible things. So you're like, even like, I even coach people like call someone, even if you can't go see them. Um, but isolation creates these things in our brains because we have no other input other than our own negative thoughts and voices, oftentimes when we're isolated. And so it just self-perpetuates things and there's no objective outside opinion to change anything. And that environment is not taking anything good or nutritious in subconsciously anymore. So like, yes, like isolation wow. is like not good for a brain at all. Yeah. Thank you for that. Let's go to Brendan. Well, I'm sitting here watching the next questions that come up and I would absolutely suggest that you dive over to Travis's question and then come back to me. Although it looks like Travis has snuck away. So, um, okay. So my question that I have is Cody and I, we both recognize that beliefs are going to influence our action. And anytime that you try to act counter to your beliefs, you are either going to be disingenuous, you're going to lack authenticity and truth, you're not living your truth. And that shows up. And so people just don't want to do it. But yet we all have all of these deep-seated beliefs that may not be driving us to where we need to go. So if you are going to shift a belief such as I am uncomfortable meeting new people, how do you do that? And for that matter, it could even tie down to a belief that says I'm unworthy or I'm not enough. Yes, I'm not enough. I'm not important. Those are some of the most common ones. Yeah. Um, or I'm different too. That's, that's a scary one. But the uh, mind management is the first place I'll go as far as a belief. Because getting what you just said, calling those out. A lot of the times people, especially if you're over 35, have literally seared these things in over time subconsciously and never called them out of their brain. And so they are locked in like a ball like this in your brain. Literally neurons look like trees and roots 
like root systems of trees and they can clump, clump together and create the belief structures you have, which form your identity. And so when you use something, mind management is what I call it, you're starting to call these out and you're starting like the first place I start is literally Google some of the most common ones. And a lot of the times when people start to see some of the, I'm not enough, I like, they don't even consciously know they're saying that in their head, but once they see it consciously, they're like, holy crap, that happens in here. And that start that opens up the neurons. You've opened them up now and you are starting to shift that. Once you consciously can call out some of those beliefs and define them and name them, that it gives your brain and your conscious mind a way to focus on them and you can start to shift them. Start saying, I am enough. And it starts to pull things apart. I am important. I am worthy. Like, and it starts to pull these apart and then it'll start forming new belief patterns and creating this change in your brain. Like there is, I, I would love to clear this up for everybody on this call. Neuroplasticity is not something that ends in your 20s or 30s. It happens every single day. It is impossible for your brain to not be able to shift and change. Like, like, look how fast the world changes. Like us humans are pretty freaking awesome at shifting and changing. Our brains cannot not change. It's impossible. It's always changing. And so you can consciously call forward these thoughts and beliefs with mind management just starting to like metacognition, thinking about your thinking and start to pull out some of these, like, why do I think that? Why am I mad right now? What just happened there? Like, anger was one for me that <laughs> helped me in, was was a, a belief or a mindset. It was someone else's fault and I was just pissed. And I, so, or, or and I've had these negative thoughts. And so I would, lit, I call mine Jerry. I literally call it out. I'm like, Jerry, what are you doing here? No, I, no one wants you here. Like, get out of here. Like, I don't need these negative thoughts. And I, you personify it. That's a, like a, like a technique for mind management is like, if there's common beliefs and patterns and thoughts that you have, and they spring up in similar times, name it, call it out. That's a really easy way to start for your brain to start to be able to focus and realize, wait a minute, Jerry is driving right now. Where did Cody go? <laughs> Um, and be able to pull that out of your subconscious. And that's how you start to reprogram it. And so that would be like uh, the quickest, in my opinion, way to start to shift a belief is mind management. Really start to consciously um, pull those thoughts out and think about it. Google them to find common ones and then start to journal about them, review them, talk to someone about them. Really easy ways to um, start to shift the seeds of those beliefs in your brain. Let's go to Michelle. Cody, this is so fascinating. I love this topic. Thanks for coming today. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious what you've done with meditation. I'm a big believer in meditation. I feel like it changes your brain. And I'm just curious if you've used that with some of the folks that you've worked with and how that works with like old mindset, new mindset. I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are on that. For sure, yeah, meditation, I am massively, massively a fan of. Um, it, the neurological benefits, just straight up, what happens in your brain is impossible. So if you're thinking old brain, new brain, they are connected um, like right in the center of your brain. And you are you have something like right between your, like right, like right here, your forehead essentially behind there called your prefrontal cortex, which regulates and is when that thought, the thinking that you have usually comes from that prefrontal cortex and the negative thoughts you have comes from your old brain, um, your limbic system. There is a connection, a set of neurons that like in your head that look like this, 
that connect your old brain and your new brain because your old brain needs to talk to your prefrontal cortex to get things going and move in action. So there is a pretty direct connection in line there. Um, and without doing, or sorry, when you meditate, you are consciously calling and calming down, going in that pathway and going the reverse way. So you're going from your new brain to your old brain where usually your old brain is going forward to your new brain and deriving your action. So when you're meditating, you are reversing that and you're strengthening the neural fibers backwards to your old brain, taking more control. So when you take, when you are meditating, even if you just do 10, start with five, 10 minutes a day, you are taking and just focusing your breath and back to breath, back to breath. And why breath? It's something that we don't think about a lot, but your body is breathing all the time. Right. And so my mind, brain, body, like this is where body comes into it. This is why mindfulness is important because you can be more present and focused on your body with your prefrontal cortex, your new brain, which dampens down what your old brain is saying to your new brain. Mm -hmm. And you can see this in brain scans. Like when you, when after 30 days of meditation and things like that, and, or um, even just mindfulness, like just being more mindful about the senses you're taking in, like, like I can dive more into the difference between the two, but um, you can see the neural fibers between your prefrontal cortex and your old brain, your limbic system, like get so much thicker, like gigantic white matter or uh, uh, like neuron tracks um, in your, in your, from your prefrontal cortex back to your limbic system. And so that you are more, you're quicker. When your old brain starts to fire up your new brain, you have way more neural fibers literally mm -hmm. to reverse that fight or flight type action in your mm -hmm. new brain or in your mm -hmm. old brain. Sorry. Um, and so that's really meditation is huge in training the communication pathway between your new brain and your old brain um, is the easiest way to think about that. And then remember new and old brain are connected to your mind and your body. So that's, I think that would be, does that answer your question? Yeah, it's a great description. Thank you. For sure. Before I jump over here to Steve Johns, we've got a number of comments around apps and uh, Brendan asked about apps and, Travis has mentioned Calm. Karen's mentioned Abide. Are there any other apps that you recommend? Yeah, Calm is a really good one. Headspace is another good one. Um, and then, um, who is it? I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there's a really awesome neuroscientist that has an app um, that's really simple stuff. Um, Calm is one. And then the other one would be uh, Fabulous. That, that's what it is. Fabulous is a really good app as well. Um, and I'm I'm actually creating an app as well. Heroes is is going to be is about to be an app as well in the next three months. So, and this is specifically one of those pieces. But I mean, I would challenge like an app is awesome, but also just remember if you are breathing, you can also be mindful and meditate. And so just take five minutes and focus on your breath. That's it. Like when your brain gets crazy, like this is the biggest solve for anxiety, really, especially uh, some of the guys I work with, they're sitting there like, yeah, dude, I lay down. I can't sleep because my brain's going 4,000 miles an hour. It's like, man, I talk at the speed of light. Trust me. I know what you're talking about here. Um, and just using your breath as a metric, measure them, count up to 10 and then restart. Because if you try to count past 10, your brain will get, you'll get off the path, but just sit there and go back to breath, back to breath and say it over and over. And I promise you'll get better at it, but calm is a good one. Headspace has a really, really good 
Um, when I started to meditate, I, I there's a beginners, it's a free beginners course on meditation for Headspace. And the guy who narrates it, it's hilarious because all of like, I, the, the views you have on meditation um, or things like that, people, all of the head trash people have about it and the excuses and stuff like that. During those beginner courses, he literally just calls it straight out. He's like, you're probably getting distracted right now. And he'll bring you back. And it's a really good way to um, begin. Like Headspace is a really good one, I would say. Calm is a very good one because they have visuals. Um, 70% of your brain is for visual. That's why I like Calm too. So those would be some good ones. <laughs> Sorry. Let's go over here to Steve. Uh, thanks, Randy, for another great lessons in leadership. Hey, Cody, I'm, uh, I hate hey, that. Steve. Uh, yeah, good to see you. Good to see you too. I hate that uh, COVID has put, in a, put a pause in our conversations. I love hearing, uh, hearing you talk about mindset. So I'm, I'm wondering about, since you have this uh, really deep understanding of the mind um, and the brain and the body, with that knowledge and understanding, I'm interested in you talking about influence. And since you're a CEO and owner, I don't, I've forgotten how many employees you have, but knowing what you know about mindset, how do you use mindset to have a positive influence on behaviors and production? Say for if you have 10 employees, 100 employees, 300 employees, looking forward to hearing you talk about that for sure yeah I, a lot of the stuff that i do like actually there's not anything that i do that i don't i've got technically two companies heroes is where i do a lot of this stuff it's a neurotechnology company and then cba intelligence is my other company where i have more employees heroes is more like my coaching practice essentially um and in cba i have about 10 employees and cbai cba intelligence sorry um that's where I do all of this stuff with them. Like, how do you influence this stuff? I coach them. Like, I think coaching is something that people, um, especially leaders, uh, managers, leaders, sometimes it's not a skill that's always, it's a very higher, very high, uh, higher, higher, I don't know how to say that word. Um, sorry, but it's structured where I have a bigger title than you. So you have to listen. And, um, I don't think that that necessarily helps, especially I, I employ mostly younger people. I have one, I think, I think everyone's in their twenties. I, except we have an office mom. She's awesome. She's like sixties, later sixties, but um, she, uh, and even her, I still coach. And so I coach and I talk with them about these things, have these conversations. Um, they all go through hero coaching, every single one of them to have these conversations um, with themselves and with me. Um, and so that would, is really how I, um, instill some of these things into the people that I'm working with and kind of help, it helps unify them, but it really helps them um, keep this positive mindset because it's something you have to practice. Like you've got to do it over and over and over. It's just how it works. Um, so that would be kind of how I would, that influence is just directly coaching. I'm not quite getting the how from you in that answer. If you're, uh, in front of a large group of individuals, a diverse population, 
mm-hmm. and you are very much aware of mindset, not only yours, but obviously you understand others' mindset and how they're influenced. How do you use that knowledge in a productive way? What do you say? What do you do that influences? Influences them to have a more positive mindset? No, to have a positive, you're the leader of an organization. You've got goals and objectives. You have annual meetings to establish strategic objectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you initiate that process? How do you use your knowledge and influence in mindset to have a positive influence on their behavior, their production? Oh, I got you. So first of all, clearly defining those things is the first one. Like what is our purpose? And then what is your purpose would be where I go. So one of the first things I like purpose and happiness are the two things I really like to help. That's one of my MTP massively transformative purpose, like helping others find purpose and happiness in their lives. That's one of mine. And so I will start with purpose. I will start with our purpose and I make sure I'm clear on where we're going as a company, what we, why we do what we do. And then I will help them craft their own and help them craft their own story to help influence them through their own, what they want to do. Like what is, how are you personally motivated? Why do you personally wake up? Perfect. You see, this is what you want to do. And I help them craft the story of their life and their purpose. Here is CBAs and what we are focused on and what our purpose is and mesh the two of those together um, through continuously having conversations about it. Like when someone's under motivated, like if you can say, what are you becoming? And they all of my people know their purpose. And so they would say, this is what I'm becoming. Holy crap. And it snaps right back into, holy crap, I am now intrinsically motivated to do what I need to do. And so that's the influence. I would say I help them craft their own purpose and make sure I'm clear about our purpose. And then when they start to fall off or there's underperformance or like different types of things, just I, all I have to do at that point is remind them, what, what are you becoming? What, what are you doing? What is your purpose? And it instantly shifts back for them. <laughs> Everything falls under um, because a purpose is a really great way to craft beliefs that you want. And then you follow the circle. Beliefs, feelings, thoughts, actions, results. Let's jump over to Travis. Sorry, I got one other thing going on my other screen. Cody, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. I don't yeah, good to see you too. Talking. We talked a few times in the last couple of months. So um, the first question is... Um, <clears throat> this word narc. Well, I'm going to go to my second question because I'm going to skip my first one if I have time to come back. Um, the word narcissism keeps coming up and surfacing. People talking about this narcissistic personality disorder, how we blame shift and we uh, we try to make people. We literally make people. We narcissists make people feel like they're crazy, like they're they're questioning their own thoughts. I don't know if you've heard that. There's science on that. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I've <laughs> I have definitely seen this. Um, in action, especially, I feel like it happens some because a lot of some of the coaching I do is relationships, like like relationship type coaching, um, or the relationship people have with others. Um, and so, sadly, I have whether it's a friend group, honestly, like or a narcissist type personality in a friend group. But um, I guess I have two thoughts. I think that I think someone mentioned social media that perpetuates some of these types of things. Um, I think that is a key. I know that that is a huge um, proponent in what our brain is taking in all the time. 
um, in what is portrayed there. And then past experience as well. Like, like there's not enough um, conversation about what, how our past affects our present and our future. Um, and I, a lot of this narcissistic type stuff, especially if it's when it's surfacing in younger people, I really, they don't consciously a lot of the times realize what they're doing because they have seen it and have gotten used to it as they grew up. Um, and some social media, some family, some parenting, some, like there's a whole slew of things that kind of floods into this stuff. Um, what they see in movies, what they're reading, reading, maybe I'm the only 20 year old that reads, but the uh, getting, getting some of those um, influences when they're younger into their brains are creating the behaviors. And then a lot of the times, especially with like guys that I talk to about this, um, the it's an insecurity more than anything. When you're insecure about something internally, you externalize different types of behaviors. Um, like we're talking about, like narcissism is a, is a, there's a slew of behaviors that define narcissism. If you're like looking at the definition, but um, it's usually some type of insecurity that is created or that's inside of them. And like I mentioned, only 3% of guys are willing to talk about it. Um, like the overwhelming majority of like narcissistic type things has been that I've heard, at least from my experience, I don't know the stats on this, has been more like men feeling that way or being told that. I've had a few that come to me and say, everyone says this about me. I don't get it. They're wrong, this stuff. And it's just that con that questioning, <laughs> like being open and being able to, for me to question them through some of those things. Um, and if they don't have someone to do that questioning, they keep those insecurities, those insecure, keep them bottled up. And then they never have a chance to untangle what's inside to let, to release it and be able to be more open to uh, being let there's again self-absorbed like self-critical gaslighting all of these behaviors that come out in narcissism each one of those behaviors has its own story behind it and so when you look at narcissism as a collection of individual behaviors and actions you can start to dissect the beliefs the results they're getting and you can start to pull those apart and so without that happening like it self-perpetuates itself because sadly like a lot of those things like it's like a bull in a china shop. They push forward and they get some of the things they want or they, other people who are like nervous, worried, anxious, scared to say anything about it, don't say anything about it. So then they get the resort, they get a result that is beneficial to them, which reinforces the underlying narcissistic type behaviors or beliefs, which reinforces the thoughts, which reinforces the actions. And so if there's like, and that is social media, that is their friend groups, the results they're getting in those friend groups, like that's, um, that was, I mean, that would be a huge piece of what I would say. Um, narcissism is not one that I have specifically studied a ton on necessarily, but, um, that would be my general thoughts. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were talking about the trillions of inputs that we're processing, that whole idea of social media came to mind. And I think Chris wanted to talk more about social media here too. And, and just what do we do about it? Yeah, Chris, you want to unmute? Yeah, I mean, you, you've been kind of talking about it. But yeah, just was curious what your thoughts are on on social media and how it's impacted. Um, I, you know, everybody talks about the uh, all the isolation that's happened during the pandemic, but the reality is, is nobody's really the isolation. Yeah, not with people around them, but they got their device in their hands twenty four hours a day. You, you have a hard time getting, uh, you know, especially a kid 
to have an electronics free day or something like that, that almost kills them. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I Cause I don't think that what I see happening is with the social media, whether they're on you know, TikTok or whatever, there, there's very little coming in that's really truly educational or, uh, you know, positive, I guess, would be a good way to put it. So much of it is negative and they post something and they don't get enough likes on it. So they feel bad about that. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are and, I, and how much that is, becomes part of your topic when you're working with these young, younger folks, especially. Oh, yeah, that is a huge one. Um, what I've kind of resort, resorted to is not trying to get them away from um, social media, but I will, I mean, bluntly, it's very hard, like you're mentioning, but finding influencers and people that are putting stuff out that is positive, that is educational, um, and suggesting those to them as a first step. Like, start putting positive. Like, you can't, like, my, I've, I have a TikTok, and every single one that I put, like, almost every video that I see now, because that algorithm is so powerful. Um, and that's why I work with artificial, like, AI and artificial intelligence and algorithms, because they're running our lives more than we necessarily know um, or think about. But if we start to think about it, you can start to use it to your advantage. And so that algorithm, I will talk to them about that. I will tell them, you know how powerful this thing is? Like, this is an extension of your brain. It can be help let it help you and so i'm like look at and i'll show them mine i'll show them some of the people i look at and it's like it, all the influencers that i'm following and liking and different things like that i know the intent behaviors that cause the algorithm to trigger the things they do and so i'll walk them through that in these different platforms and say hey here's what this one's doing here's how you can affect it positively check this out and that'll kind of be a first step to help them with some of their the activity and the things they're seeing and those inputs because the beautiful thing about it is the more positive stuff that they're seeing and the more mindset shifting things that they're seeing with these different influencers, the less they will, they will start to learn through the content that they're seeing in a place that they're used to trusting and believing. They will start to learn the things they need to learn to get away from social media more. And so it's just starting that initial drop in the bucket as opposed to saying, yeah, you just need to stop this completely. Just it's in my, it just not as a behaviorist, it just doesn't, it's not as effective as starting to help them use what they're using and going to do anyways in a better way. That's a simple way that I kind of start. And then being able to start, to, they will start to shift and ask more questions like, okay, well, what else could I do? And then I suggest someone, I'll suggest another influencer that will suggest, why don't you go read more or go do this or go do that or go like go read, go social, go be with your friends, go do these things, be more present. And they're getting that message from TikTok or Instagram, wherever. And they are then able to take actions based on that influence, which gets them away from social media. Being away from social media improves their anxiety and their stress, their depression. And they're like, holy crap, why would I ever go back to that? Like, why would I enter that back in, right? And sometimes they do, and they start to be getting more of that garbage in. I'm like, what happened? Where are we at? What, what are you looking at? What are you watching? Um, and having that conversation around that, as opposed to just trying to cut it off is one. And then that is honestly, like a lot of these, like it's hard because a lot of these companies have people just like me that know brain structures and understand that if I put X thing in front of someone, I can sell attention better than, than my competitor. And so that's, um, they're, they're, that's actually a piece. It, it's funny you ask. Some of the AI, Heroes AI is my company. And that's what we're, I'm literally doing is building an algorithm that can propel humanity, like push us forward as opposed to sell the attention. Like I'm not trying to sell attention at all. 
like I've got a company that I'm, I'm, is a for-profit company. This one is a like a purpose-driven company, like a like a uh, that has an algorithm that can help push us forward and start to shift the types of algorithms that are running these platforms people are taking in content. Um, because that, in my opinion, is where a big shift needs to happen because it's just gotten kind of out of hand. Like it's crazy. Like just understanding what the underlying technology is and how it's affecting the brain. It's, it's a little bit scary. So I would say those are two really, uh, as far as what social media is doing or how you can start to help with it. I mean, I'm happy to go into what social media is doing, but I mean, you, it bad. It's just not good. It, it is not, it creates without any intervention, it creates a negative feedback loop. I, I mean, it's just obvious. You're always posting something and it's never good enough. And you're only ever getting reinforcement that I'm not good enough or worthy or they're better or they're cooler. Like that is just bad. Like it's like planting a tree in a toxic wasteland. And it, it, that's like, it's just that simple. <laughs> if you don't start to fertilize that soil with better content that you're taking in to get away from it, it's just bad. It just, it's period bad. <laughs> it's pretty hard to ignore those vanity metrics and I worry about what they do, especially to kids, because it is discouraging. I know one day I did the world's most perfect post and I looked at it later and I think it had a hundred views but the one over it was like a cat riding on a dog that had like two million and then the one under it was like an anti-trump and it had 10 million and i'm like i had the world's most perfect post and no one even looked at it they looked at the cat and the uh the political thing and so those things can discourage you i always go back to you got to remind yourself what's your purpose yeah i agree let's go to uh andre well, I'm just super impressed that Chris knows what TikTok is. I mean, I think we need to give him a couple claps. That's pretty exciting. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, um, so my, my question, and everything you said is correct, right? So the algorithm, whatever you click on, negative, positive, it reinforces the algorithm will send you those thoughts. So the one thing I would say is if you're only looking at good things on social media platforms, that algorithm is going to send you really good things. If you're looking at negative things, that algorithm will send you very negative things to Cody's point. Um, I work with a lot of folks too, um, whether it's mentoring, coaching, professional development, whatever that is, right? And I run across people um, that aren't very self-aware of how they treat people, how they behave. Um, how are you working with those individuals, right? Because it, it really, you have to be so in tune with what you're trying to accomplish, especially when you're trying to build relationships and you're dealing with people, right? There are some that you can, you can watch them and you'll hear someone say something that's really, really important to them. They'll only say the things that are important to them. And to me, there's this missing thing where people just simply aren't aware of their self-awareness. So how are you working with those individuals? Yeah, that's huge. I would summarize almost everything that I work with people is self-awareness, awareness of oneself. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about thus far is the first place I'll go, just general mind management and understanding how your mind, your brain, your body talk to one another. And then when I really start to think, or when I'm like pushing even further past that to more general self-awareness is starting to understand like when a problem arises or things are happening around you, what are like just general communication and human relation um, training and development is really where 
um, I will I will look at um, moving, especially with the younger group I work with. Um, a lot of the times, some of those human relation skills are over a Call of Duty microphone or um, something like that, and not as much like human to human. And so they miss on some of the cues that you're describing, or they don't necessarily have the um, uh, listening skills um, because they're talking about like noobs and all sorts of like this below this, but like they just are not seeing the face to face or feeling it. There's, there's um, the, because it, it's a feeling, like when we are around one another, we can feel it. And that is really when you can train that self awareness, proprioception is what that's called. Like between your brain and your heart, there is a, like a literally a electromagnetic field that goes 15 feet from your body. And you can look at this. And when those, you can build better awareness around and train that feeling that you have like, oh man, I just completely ignored what this guy was talking about. Or I am thinking only about myself in this. I am thinking about what I'm going to say, not listening to what they are saying. Like those types of things, you can feel them when you're around people more. And so communication and human relation skills um, is where I would, is where I shift to start to get those self-awareness cues because those cues come in through your body um, and which travels up to your brain. And if you are only focused on um, old brain type things, you haven't, you're, maybe you're not meditating or mindful enough, you're missing those cues. And so your old brain is running you and it's, your old brain is selfish. It wants to live and survive genetically. Um, and so that self-awareness from a lot of what I've been talking about. And then identity is another one um, that I really talk with a ton of people, like their heroic self. I spend a ton of time um, talking to people about being able to borrow um, like these mindsets and skill sets from people. And um, so when I'm building self-awareness, that's one, if, if I recognize something like that, um, or I'm a lot of the times it's in conversation with people that they are giving me problems they're getting in conversations, which I know the solution is self-awareness, but I can't just say that to them. Like how many, like, I don't have kids yet, but I know I didn't listen to my parents. <laughs> They're like, you need to do this. It, it just doesn't work right. that way. And so I know I need to question them to self-awareness, not tell them they need self-awareness. How do you, co well, how do you do that? Right. Cause once I've been around people like this and it's been with client interaction. And one of the things I wanted to say is, and I, and I try to say face a lot of times, what I'll say, if a client has an interest in a particular thing, that's important to them what you'll see is someone else talk about the things that are only important to them. And so what I'll say is, well, just a minute, I think what he was about to say is really important. And I think we should probably learn more before we go there. And I'm trying to say, so how do you help someone in a group, client interaction, employee meeting, uh, coach, or just help them understand that they're not really self-aware without beating them down? Because the one, one thing you don't want to do is kill any of their um, their activity, you, you want to do it in a way that's allowing them to know you're valued and all that. But then, how do we move beyond and, and really identify the fact that you, there's a there's an internal issue that you have is you're not listening, uh, you're not very self aware that you're not listening. How do you coach without destroying their morale? Right. So, I'm, first of all, I was asking for permission. Is it cool with you if I kind of if we kind of walk through what's going on here? Um, and some because they'll come with a result on whatever the negative result is. They will come with a result. And so, being, can I can I ask you a couple questions about this? I'd like let's just work through this and ask them questions and ask for permission first. Open it up. 
like open their mind up to questions and suggestions. That's the, like the first thing I would say. And then go to that belief wheel is what I was what I go to because I'm walking. I'm okay, so what 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 did you do? What what was the result? And have them describe the result. Okay, and what actions did you take? Got it. Okay, what were you thinking and feeling? And if it's I I I I I right, then I'm asking what were what do you think they were thinking and feeling? Oh, I don't really know. So, oh man, if you did know that, would you have acted differently? Oh my God. Yeah, mm, I would. And would right. that result get you, would you get a different result if you'd acted differently? And they're like, holy crap, I would have gotten a different result. And that is now shifting their beliefs, which will shift their feelings and thoughts in the future, which will get them different actions, which will then build. Right. And then eventually over time, they become self-aware without even knowing it. And one day they'll be like, I can't believe I'm so self-aware. They'll never know that you did it. And yeah. like, you've got to be okay with that. Um, but they w- it will happen and they will shift slowly. Um, but it's not me saying you need to be self-aware. It's them self-realizing it. I love it. Love it. Great answer. Thank you. Let's go to Frank. Cody, how are you? It's been a while. Hey, Frank. Doing hey, well. How are very, you? I'm doing well. You're uh, very wise to be such a young man. I, I love our conversations. I appreciate um, it. So, I, I um, one of the things I don't do and haven't for a very long time is get up in the morning and turn on the news because it's just full of negative, bad stuff. Right. So I we talk about kids and social media. So I'm curious, what is the this incredible draw and need human beings have for bad news? I mean, a good news network probably wouldn't make it on TV. Right. So. What is, what is the, the draw that we have as humans to drama and bad news that keeps, you know, pulling us in and we end up migrating to? What is that? It's, a, it's that old brain tendency, the, the, that limbic system um, tendency to want to survive necessarily. Negative news and news about negative things subconsciously gets processed as, ah, okay, I can avoid that in the future. And so that is more... Um, your old brain <laughs> trying to get yourself prepared when in reality, like, <laughs> like there's a really good book abundance um, that I love or bold, I think is another one um, that talks about like in reality, like the, we, we are like less, there are less poor people than there ever has been. We are more educated. We live longer than ever in history, right? We don't think about those things um, because we're focused on our old brain wants to keep us focused on negative things, um, that are feed it. it. It is a negative mechanism to keep us alive. And so it's that survival tendency that, that really keeps us honed in and hooked in um, to negative news, negative influences, because that's our natural tendency is negative. Yeah, well, I know there's one book you can't check out the library or buy, and that's how to be negative, right? We already instinctively know how to be that. Exactly. That's crazy. Thank, thank you, Cody. Uh, again, I um, uh, this is a fantastic topic. So thank you, Randy. Thank you too. Can I ask a quick follow-up question to Frank? Sure. So what Frank just said isn't it also too though? If we see the negative news, we see it as a as a an opportunity to displace our own internal struggles as far as you see something you go oh, I would never do that or I don't do that it makes you feel better about yourself is that is that part I, of it too like yeah, I, would never be, I would never do something so stupid look at me I'm better in your own mind you displace that because of your own you want to push off your own your own uh, 
negative things that you think about yourself. Is that, is that possible too? Yeah. Okay. Not okay. Is a really easy way to think about it. Like I am more okay. So I feel better about taking this in. They are less okay. Okay. So I feel more okay because they're not okay. Yeah. Is a really simple mechanism that your brain works on. Okay. Not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have that problem, but anyway, I appreciate the question. <laughs> I mean, let me close with one here, Cody. One of the most inspiring conversations you and I had was a couple years ago when you talked about if you were the hero in your own story and you were writing that story, what would you expect of yourself? And that pops in my head, you know, like I'll get home from work and I feel like crap. Should I go run or should I sit in the recliner? Well, the guy I'm writing about wouldn't sit in the recliner. He'd go run anyways. It didn't matter how awful he felt. That hero mindset is a lot different than what we seem to be seeing become prevalent, which is more of a uh, entitlement mindset. Everybody owes me something. You know, I'm powerless to solve my problems. Society owes me solutions to my problems, whether it be debt or student loans or jobs or opportunity or whatever. What, what do you think is causing that dichotomy of the entitlement mindset versus the hero mindset? And, and how do we address that? I mean, I honestly think it's an accumulation of a lot of what we've just been talking about. Um, by like some of the social media stuff, some of the stuff that's being taken in, some of the influences people are watching, especially younger people are watching. Um, and it's a much easier, it's a much easier, less resistant pathway in your brain to sit in the recliner than go to take the action um, and go move. Um, and so it's ease, like your brain wants naturally to do the easier thing, but your future self wouldn't necessarily be as excited about that. Like I think about that. What is your present self doing? Will your future self be happy or sad about it? Um, and oftentimes, like the easier thing to do um, is it's that second order effect. Um, the first, like if you think of first order and second order, like eating a donut has awesome first order effects. It's much easier, but the second order effects is getting overweight. If you do it too often, the harder first order, if something's harder up front, the second order effect is usually more effective, better. So if it's, it, you don't eat that donut, which is harder to self-control, um, to, to not eat it. The second order effect is a better nutritious, like being. And so the a misunderstanding of first order and second order effects and third, fourth, fifth, even, um, I think is what, what is causing that. It's so easy to do things today, um, things that aren't necessarily good on second order. Um, and people just forget to question themselves and think about those things, um, I think. That's like, I, I think heroes a lot because heroes, like the definition of a hero uh, for me and for when I talk with people is an ordinary person put into an extraordinary circumstance who takes action. That's simple. Like an ordinary person put into an extraordinary circumstance who takes action, right? Like today is an extraordinary circumstance. Every day is an extraordinary circumstance. Just act um, and do those things that are a little bit harder um, so you can benefit in the future. We're going to have to do this again because I got about 100 more questions. We'd, we'd be here for hours. But uh, it's always, uh, you've inspired me many times. And I can't tell you many times some of the things you've taught me pop in my head. And so I know you're good in doing important work and good work and, and inspiring people to go be their better self and to, to be a hero in their own way. And that's awesome. I appreciate it.
There are so many people here that have jumped on that inspired me too. I am always trying to learn. So I have far fewer years on earth and I know that that is some of the most important knowledge you can gain. So I am, I just, I'm looking at all my like mentors on this call that I have taken stuff in little nuggets that have like, Oh my God. And then I'll go research something and then it creates like, so I, uh, I'm grateful that you had me on and I'm grateful to see so many faces on here that I've, that you guys have influenced me a ton. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending time with us, Cody. Again. Next week, don't forget, it's at 7 p.m., which is 8 a.m. Australia time. It's a uh, lesson on resilience. Some uh, former Australian SAS officers who have taken their experiences and their medical training and done a lot of research around the layers of resilience and how to build a more resilient lifestyle. I think we're going to find it's a, an awful lot in common with some of the things we talked about today. You're going to find their their perspective isn't a whole lot different than uh, than Cody's. It's from a, a background of uh, battle and war and then medical study and some of the same science. And so it's uh, all things that can help us be more resilient uh, leaders and business leaders and leaders in our families. And I think it'll be a great conversation. So that'll be next Thursday night at seven o'clock. I'll get that out to all of you. Well, everyone have a great weekend. It's good to see you. Thanks, everybody. Bye.